welcome to OVS Orbit, the podcast for Open vSwitch users and developers, Episode 6. I'm your host, Ben Pfaff. This episode is an interview with Peter Fall, president of Inmont, which is the company that created the S-Flow protocol for network monitoring. Way back in January of 2010, Inmon contributed support for S-Flow to Open vSwitch. At the time, Open vSwitch was still pre-1.0, and S-Flow was the main new feature in OVS version 0.99.1. That makes Inmon an Open vSwitch pioneer, both because it was there so early, and because S-Flow was the first big contribution to Open vSwitch from anyone outside the core Open vSwitch development team. At the time, I hadn't heard of Inmon, but since then I've met Peter a couple of times, and it made me eager to get him in to talk about S-Flow and how it relates to Open vSwitch. On to the interview. I'm here today with Peter Fall from Inmont. Good to see you again. We've talked a couple of times before. Before we really get into our topic, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. I've been in the network monitoring space for most of my professional career. I started at HP Labs in Bristol in the UK and working on network management problems. And we quickly recognized that statistical sampling was a very powerful way of monitoring networks at scale. And so we developed various sampling technologies um, at that time. And then um, as switching started to really come on board and, and all the the sort of one gig switch vendors like Extreme and Foundry entered the market, it really became apparent that monitoring was going to be a challenge at those kinds of speeds. And so we worked with the vendors to embed instrumentation in their silicon data plane to sample the packets as they traverse the data plane. And really that's the S-Flow technology that we um, developed and basically open sourced through sflow.org, which is an industry consortium of, of vendors and, and users of, of S-Flow. Was S-Flow something that came about while you were still at HP? No, it's really a sort of successor technology. When I developed the original sampling technologies, networks were um, were sort of shared medium. It was coax cables and, and repeaters. So what you were doing, you know, you could attach anywhere and you could see everything that was going on on the LAN. When you move to switching, you need to have you need to recast the problem, and really what you're looking at is the behavior of the crossbar <laughs> that's within the switch, and and that is the sort of the shared medium among the ports, and and so that's the place you want to instrument it, and you have different metadata that you want to get, and and slightly different um, way in which you want to um, implement the instrumentation. That makes sense. So we've talked a little bit about what SFlow lets you do, but do you want to say a little bit more about what is SFlow? Sure. They're really two largely independent instrumentation techniques that are, are in S-Flow. Um, the first is really just a push of, of counters. So, you, you know, at the time everybody was using SNMP to poll, and polling doesn't really scale very well. And so what makes more sense is to have the device essentially poll itself. So you, you're essentially scaling out the polling task, and every um, device in your network exports its own counters on its own schedule, and then you're just passively receiving them, which gives you orders of magnitude better scalability than you would get using SNMP polling. That sort of streaming telemetry is now becoming sort of a popular idea. Uh, Google is pushing it as part of their open config platform. And and really, S-Flow has always had that aspect to it. And we've actually applied that technology to the Open vSwitch implementation as well. So it streams a lot of telemetry about the um, Open vSwitch performance, all the um, virtual interface counters and um, data path um, statistics. So you can know how many packets are hitting the, the fast path and slow path in the Open vSwitch. The second 
technique that's built into SFLOW is the one that I mentioned first, which is the random packet sampling. So that counters really, you just pull out of the environment. They're not really integral to the data plane. <laughs> the sampling mechanism is basically you have a random number generator built into the data plane and you compare that to a, a threshold. So you, it allows you to sort of set a sampling probability. So typically say one in a thousand packets. And with that probability, you're going to select a packet to be sampled. And it doesn't just sample a packet, it also samples the FIB entry associated with that packet. So you, in the Open vSwitch context, you're capturing the packet and the um, actions associated with that packet. And those are then being sent up to the user space agent, which immediately exports them to an SFLOW analyzer. So a key aspect to SFLOW is that all the analytics are done remotely. You don't rely on resources on the switches to do the analytics. They export relatively raw data that can be um, analyzed in a variety of different ways um, in, in remote software. So in, in SFLOW, you have some kind of an agent that, that runs on your, your, your switches, your, your network nodes, and it, it sends that information across the network to collectors. Uh, and then what kinds of typical uses do you find for the data once it's collected? Pretty much anything. I mean, the way to sort of think about SFLOW is a sort of a scaling function. You couldn't monitor every packet in a large data center network. You might have terabits of data. Um, but what you can do is if you sample them, you can feed them into a model of the network. And you've basically, whatever your sampling rate is, is a scaling factor. And that if you run those packets through that model, you're getting something that's representative of the real system that you're monitoring. But it, uh, an analogy I sort of think of is, is sort of like a ship in a bottle. <laughs> you know, you, you've shrunk down the essential features of the network, and now you can run experiments on that model that are valid for the actual network. So it lets you explore sort of route analytics and, and load balancing. Um, you can do volumetric billing. You can um, do load balancing and any kind of um, analytics that you would want to reason about how that underlying network is being loaded can be applied to the model and then through SDN which is I think one of the things that has really um, empowered SFLOW as a technology because in the past you know visibility was just sort of a low value thing it's a pretty chart network management is generally a giveaway but once you have a, a control plane that is programmable now you can start to act on it so you see a DDoS attack you drop a filter in and you draw and it's removed from the network. You see a large elephant flow taking a path that's congested. You apply a rule to move it to an alternative path. So it really unlocks the value of the analytics, having a, a control plane that's programmable. And so I think the analytics and the control really go hand in hand. So do people more typically use SFLOW for sorts of solving real-time problems, I don't know, putting out fires, or is it more uh, more typically used for things closer to like data warehousing and ar archiving and, and seeing how your network performs over the long term? Historically, it's been more the aimed at people in long term because, you know, SDN is a, is a new um, capability, and so th there aren't that many solutions in production in doing that. But... Um, you know, typically the use case would be, you know, show me who the top talkers are on my network. Um, show me the growth in traffic over the last six months so I can do capacity planning. Um, tell me how much traffic each of my customers generated so I can bill them. <laughs> um, you know, just typical traffic analysis and visibility it is a sort of historical use of the data as you archive it. But I think the exciting things are the real-time control capabilities because there's opportunities to dramatically improve the performance 
of the systems you're managing um, and you know like double the capacity by by just doing really sensible workload placement based on actual communication patterns rather than guesses you mentioned elephant flows a little bit earlier and elephants and mice are kind of a hot topic in networking right now i, I keep hearing about different ways that the people are, are trying to uh, uh, manage the, the traffic. Is that something that the people are using SFlow for today? Yeah, it's a, because it's stateless, you know, as I described earlier, the analytics is done remotely. Um, so as a sam- packet is sampled, it's immediately sent to a collector. So the collector has near real-time view of the of a large flow. So within within less than a second of a large flow entering the network, it'll know that it's there and it'll track it over its lifetime. And so an interesting demonstration we did with um, the Owen Labs folks with Onos Controller was to use segment routing as a control paradigm for traffic engineering and then using the SFlow analytics to detect when two large flows were hashed onto the same ECMP path. And so we would detect that situation, identify the two flows, and then use policy-based routing to steer one of the flows over an alternative path. And that was demonstrated at the Open Networking Summit last year. That's sort of a, a good example of the kind of things you can do with it. Another one that you guys, I think, worked on was looking at the value of QoS marking of, of large flows. So you mark them as less than best effort, and then they don't impact the mice on the network, but it has marginal impact on the performance of the elephant flows. So that's an easy thing you can do as well. Is you just Because SFlow is enabled in all the ports on the network, you can easily find the point of ingress and drop in a, a marking rule to change the QoS settings for that flow. It's part of the um, cord. Um, it's a central office reimagined as a data center. So it's um, it's part of their whole network function virtualization play, where they're taking you know what used to be a bunch of physical appliances in central offices, turning them into virtual machines on OpenStack, and using a, an ECMP leaf and spine fabric to connect them. And then that gives you a you know much more versatile infrastructure that you can dynamically scale as you need. Uh, okay. It, it seems then that, that segment routing is also a hot, hot topic. I guess there's uh, multiple projects over there. Uh, yeah. To it. Well, segment routing, I think, is is an attractive um, model for policy-based routing because you, you know you can just you don't it makes MPLS very easy to consume. You can, you don't need to do anything, and it just takes the normal ECMP shortest paths and, and multi-paths the traffic. But then you can just uh, put sort of topology hints into your steering. You say, okay, match traffic that has this five tuple, and I want it to go via this spine, and, I'll, and each, each switch has its own unique MPLS label. So it becomes very, it's a very easy way to consume uh, or, or um, generate an API. And, and really that's what ONOS does, is they provide an northbound API that is restful, and you just say, okay, match these fields, apply that path. And so it's, it's really easy to consume. I see. One of the things that I've always been pretty impressed with is it seems like a pretty wide variety of hardware supports the SFlow protocol. How did you manage to convince all these hardware manufacturers to support SFlow? Ironically, um, we have Cisco to thank for that because um, the first vendors to implement SFlow were Hewlett Packard and, and Foundry Networks. And you know they, they did it in their own custom silicon. But then they wanted to um, they wanted lower 
and switches where, where they would use merchant silicon. So they asked the merchant silicon vendors to implement S-Flow for their low-end platforms. And on the Cisco side, Cisco has never supported S-Flow, not, not until recently anyway. And so it basically created this isolated ecosystem of everybody but Cisco doing S-Flow in, their, in hardware. The ASIC vendor, you know, the merchant silicon vendors like Broadcom have moved up the value chain and become very successful. And now even Cisco is using Broadcom silicon in their Nexus 3K and 9K platforms and are now implementing S-Flow <laughs> because that's the instrumentation that's in that data plane. So it's, it's really, a, it was a long journey getting things into hardware. You know, it's an 18-month, two-year cycle. And so we're only, you know, four or five generations in. <laughs> it was a 15-year project. But right now it's pretty much um, universally available in data center switches on the typical, you know, one you fixed format switches. One of the upcoming switch technologies is P4. Is S-Flow implementable in a P4 switch? Sure. And in fact, I think there's some P4 designs to, to implement S-Flow. I mean, all you really need is a, a random number sort of register and a comparator. <laughs> and I think um, those are modules that are, are easily mapped into P4. And so you can then implement the, the sampling action. The counterpart is pretty straightforward because that's, you know, all, all the interfaces typically have the standard, you know, IF in octets, IF out octets. And so that, that's sort of table stakes for any network device. The thing that I think is really exciting about P4 is that I think S-Flow and P4 are a really interesting match. Um, if you think about the problem of probing a hardware data path and getting really high-value measurements like the actual transfer time in, in nanoseconds across the data plane or the actual queuing time in, in any of the output queues, you could actually capture that in P4. You just basically set a flag to say, okay, I'm actually instrumenting this packet um, I've, I've decided to sample it. And then metadata is captured in each stage in the pipeline associated with that packet as it traverses. And then the packet and the metadata are sent up to the management plane as the packet egresses. And so you could get a really rich view of the pipeline using S-Flow and P4. One of the uses of P4 that if you talk to, say, Nick McEwen, he'll emphasize is that you can start doing some kinds of network monitoring in-band where you actually take the sort of statistics you're talking about and actually add them into the, uh, the the packet itself as it traverses the network. I hadn't thought about making use of those in, in out-of-band ways just because uh, we've been talking about in-band network monitoring so yeah. much, but you're right, that gives a lot more power to things like S-Flow as well. And I, I think in-band, you know, while, while there are interesting things you can do with in-band, I think there are also important benefits in doing out-of-band monitoring. It's easier to deploy in a, in a multi-vendor environment. I mean, if you're doing in-band, everybody has to understand the tags as you go through. And you also have a, a challenging data collection problem because you're really wanting to capture all the metrics on the points of egress from your network. And, and so, you know, are you going to have to put agents in the hosts? What do you, how are you going to do that? And how are you going to make that scale? Whereas if you're running it as part of the out-of-band control plane, uh, it's a management plane that the switch is already using. Then you can very easily um, get the measurements out of the switches and you can combine them um, with whatever um, orchestration tools you want to use. You know, when you're in the data plane, you're in the untrusted part of the network and getting data back and forth between the control planes and the data planes is often a, an interesting challenge and exposes various uh, attack surfaces. So you can imagine a, an attacker injecting 
um, fake in banned messages, <laughs> which DDoS the control plane because they now picked up. So I think there are pros and cons of both. I'll be interested to see how it plays out. OpenVSwitch has a S-Flow implementation, and it was uh, mostly contributed by Inman and your colleague Neil McKee, I think, was the, the, the main author of that. So it's been there since 2010. How did OpenVSwitch come to your attention at the time, and, and what was the reasoning behind building an implementation? I can't actually remember how it came about. I think I might have seen um, a press release about NYSERA being formed, <laughs> and I, I thought it was a really interesting opportunity. And we're a very small company, so I thought our only shot at really getting engaged was probably to get engaged early. <laughs> and and also you have, we, we kind of learned with working with the hardware vendors that because there's such a long lead time in getting stuff done, and with Open vSwitch, really... It only became mainstream once it got upstreamed into the Linux kernel. And so you really have to be involved early in a project like that if you want to get the sort of you know, immediate benefits as it, as it matures and, and enters the market. And so we saw that as a real opportunity and put some effort in at the very beginning to implement the SFL instrumentation. And it's really, I think, paid off well, I mean, in a lot of different and surprising ways. I think what's interesting about Open Research is it's so versatile that it, it you know, allows people to do interesting things with it. So one that I've been working with recently is, is Mininet that allows you to simulate very large networks um, just on your on your laptop. <laughs> and it uses Open Vswitch as a programmable data plane to do that. And um, SFLOW has been in, used in numerous academic articles around Mininet to provide the analytics. And so it's... Um, and then, you know, there's an interesting feedback cycle because a lot of that research then gets translated into real networks. And so I think there's a virtuous cycle there. And uh, and on the deployment side of uh, using Open vSwitch in production, another area that I think is really interesting is um, we've been working with Docker on getting visibility into microservices and with uh, some companies on the network function virtualization space. And both of those problems are somewhat similar, is that you're taking what were monolithic services and disaggregating them out into lots of little tiny microservices. And so you have you know, vast numbers of, of entities, <laughs> all of which are communicating wildly over um, the data plane. And so having an instrumented Open vSwitch um, has sort of two benefits. One, Open vSwitch's programmability lets you sort of set up these services and how they relate and isolate them from each other. But it also gives you an instrumentation plane that's common to all those services that run on there. So it's a much easier problem to monitor using the network than it is to try and instrument every variant of service that you're pushing out in a container or a VM. You can get sort of a common set of analytics out of the network that gives you a good good handle on the performance of those systems in production. You mentioned how versatile Open vSwitch is, and that that's a strength. But as an Open vSwitch developer, Sometimes it's a disadvantage for me because I really have no idea how people are using Open vSwitch. Uh, they generally only uh, only come to us if, if they have a bug report. I, I wonder if, if you have some insight into how people are using Open vSwitch with SFlow. You might have more of a more more contact with that audience uh, or, or with that customer base. You, you've mentioned a couple of ways that people are using it uh, with Docker and microservices and so on. Do you, do you have any more insight uh, that would be worth sharing? Well, I think the mainstream use is with OpenStack. You know, Open vSwitch is the default switch. Um, I, what I didn't mention is that there's also an open source SFlow agent for hosts called HostSFlow, and you can download it at sflow.net. And um, really what that does is it uses SFlow's telemetry system to push um, all the host metrics. And so if you're running Docker, 
you know, there are huge numbers of, of containers and you'd like to know how much CPU each container is using. And so all that data is pushed along as part of the SFLOW stream, as well as metadata that lets you contextualize the SFLOW from the data plane. So now you know what Docker UUID is associated with which MAC address, which is associated with which um, traffic flows. And so you can pull all that data together and, and provide a sort of comprehensive view of the performance of the um, the OpenStack installation. So whether it's KVM virtual machines or Docker or Docker in KVM, <laughs> there's just a large number of entities to monitor there and it's very dynamic. And that's, that's again, a, a really important point with the push model for telemetry versus polling. If you're trying to poll a dynamic environment like that, where you have containers which might you know, only last 20 seconds, how do you even know that they existed in order to poll them? It's incredibly challenging. Whereas if you have the instrumentation built into the infrastructure so that as an entity comes up, it starts um, transmitting metrics, then you immediately discover it, you monitor it for its life cycle. And um, it, it's just a very operationally simple way of deploying instrumentation. So it seems like uh, if containers are only lasting 20 seconds, there'd be challenges later with correlating packets back to what they came from. Uh, are, are there solutions for that, that kind of problem? Well, it's actually, SLO solves that problem by being stateless. So all that data is arriving at pretty much the same instant at the collector, which can do a dynamic join and then link the data and send it out. And, and the other thing is that you often don't care about a particular instance. If you think about it, you have a say a web server pool <laughs> behind a load balancer. Each instance is sort of fungible. And so the kinds of statistics you'd want, while you need to instrument each of the instances, what you would persist are metrics about the pool of servers. So how many VMs were in the pool? How busy was the busiest one? How idle was the idlest one? And so you can get a sense of how well balanced the load was. And, and so those summary statistics are much more interesting than the statistics of the individual members. And so having a, a real-time sort of pipeline for the analytics in which you're combining and correlating this data and then recording a persistent time series that's meaningful operationally is um, an interesting area where we're working. This kind of goes back to where I, I hear people talking about cattle versus pets, where uh, people used to have uh, VMs that they, uh, or, or hosts that they were very careful about uh, uh, taking care of, and uh, sort of like pets. Yeah. Uh, but but now they, they often have these these vast herds of uh, VMs that they don't care about individually the the, the cattle and I, I think yeah. that's what, a little bit of what you're talking about. Well, if people are interested in that, I, I'd look out for some. Uh, Netflix does some really cool talks on their DevOps um, methodology. And there was one really interesting one where they're doing looking at exactly that that they have these huge pools of servers doing you know the same task, and then they they collect the analytics from the group. And you basically, it is like a herd. You sort of see all these traces of CPU and memory and disk all tracking together. And then if one VM sort of wanders from the herd, <laughs> they basically um, humanely kill it <laughs> and, and bring another one online. So they don't actually have to do any detailed troubleshooting. You just say, okay, if you're behaving like everybody else, you're cool. Um, I'm not going to bother to figure out why you've wandered off. I'm just going to get rid of you, and then I'll just spin up another one um, to take your place. And so it really... Um, you know, dramatically reduces your operational costs of managing at scale. You can't afford to sort of log into each one and look at the logs and figure out why it went astray. I mean, you might do that occasionally just to see if there's something systematic. If you're losing large numbers, then it's probably a bug and it's worth looking at it. But um, as, a, as a general operational model, I think you just basically kill the outliers.
I have one pretty specific question that I've, I've always had about S-Flow. How do you choose an appropriate sampling rate? It really isn't terribly sensitive to the sampling rate. So you generally want to, and what you want to do is sample as few packets as possible because it's a, that's what really drives the scalability. And, and the magic of sampling is really that the accuracy of a statistic that you compute is driven by the population of samples that you have. You know, that des describes the variance. If I have n, you know, a thousand data points, then I can compute the variance. And that variance is the same whether the underlying population was a million, a billion, a trillion. <laughs> and, and so that, that's what really lets you scale. It, you know, as, as you look at very large systems, the granularity of object that you care about tends to diminish. And so you tend to use smaller and higher and higher sampling rates. Good example is if you're monitoring, say, a, a one gigabit link. You might set a sampling rate of, say, one in a thousand. And that would let you detect an elephant flow if you define that as, say, anything consuming 10% of the link's bandwidth within about a second. Doing that same task on a 100 gigabit link, you'd only have to sample it one in 100,000. And when you get up to you know, terabit, then it's you know, proportionally less. And so that's why as well as scaled up as, as the um, link speeds have gone up. I've always had this speculation that something closer to time-based sampling might be appropriate, where you could configure it to, say, sample one packet per second or n packets per second. Is that, uh, is that anything you've ever thought about? Uh, we looked at that, and, and actually it's, it's horribly biased because it, it favors um, the traffic that sends um, packets evenly. I mean, if you imagine two sources, one of which sends bursts of 10 packets and one of which sends pa packets every second, you're sampling every second, you'll greatly underreport the guy who sends the bursts. And what the nice thing about event-driven sampling, where you're, you're driving it with packet arrivals, is that it um, is completely insensitive to the arrival distribution. So no matter what arrival distribution, whether you're sending huge chains of packets or um, you know, evenly spaced, it'll always converge to the correct value, and that's um, mathematically provable. And so it's nice to have a, a measurement technique in which you can say, have, make very strong statements <laughs> about the measurements. And you can, in, in, and actually it's interesting, it's often more accurate than techniques that attempt to count everything. Because if you try and count everything, you tend to overrun. And it's those um, uh, loss events that are very hard to quantify. You know, made, did I lose one packet? Did I lose a million packets? I don't know. Whereas if you um, sample, you've, um, you're doing much less work and um, the answers um, are unbiased and, and over time converge to very accurate results. So S-Flow and most other networking protocols for, for sampling that I've run into tend to use UDP, which can, can lose things naturally. Is that often a problem? How do you think about that? Well, I just see it as another kind of sampling. What S-Flow does is it um, includes sequence numbers um, with the samples. So you know how many samples were um, originated. And you also know there's a counter that's called the sample pool, which is the population from which you drew your samples. And that metadata is attached to the samples. And so when you receive it, you can see what packet loss there was in the network. And you can essentially adjust the sampling rate. 
So you could view it as an effective, you can compute an effective sampling rate. Suppose I sampled one in a hundred and there's a, you know, 5% packet loss, then I'll adjust the sampling rate to be, you know, one in one oh, you know, one oh five, <laughs> which takes out the error because the, the loss tends to be uncorrelated with the, the measurements that are being made. And so it tends to um, average out over time. Let's talk about the Open vSwitch implementation of SFlow a, a little bit more. SFlow has these features for reporting all different kinds of protocols. Is the Open vSwitch implementation, does it have uh, the, the features that, that users ask for? Do you get uh, a feature request for new protocols and, and, and so on? Well, that's the nice thing about SFlow is that um, it's, it's sort of future-proof because what it does is it just samples a packet and exports the first 128 bytes of the packet. Anything that runs over Ethernet today or any time in the future <laughs> is visible. All you need to do is upgrade your collector. The agents, so an SLOW agent from you know 10 years ago um, is fully capable of monitoring VXLAN, Genev. It's just a question of upgrading your collector, which is very different from um, analytics in which you require the device itself to, to analyze the measurements. So if you're using you know, traditional flow technologies, um, there has to be a packet parser, you know, in the network device's hardware, and um, and you're sort of ca- trapped in a silicon sort of generation to get a new capability. Whereas I really see SFlow as more, you know, software-defined analytics because it really doesn't require the hardware to do the analysis. It's offloaded to a, an external entity that builds the flow cache, and so it can determine what fields are interesting to it. So I know that there's some some structured data in the in the SFlow messages. Is that related to to other extensions? Remember, I said that there are two things that SFlow does when it samples a packet. First, it captures the packet, and then it captures the actions. And so those other records are the records that capture the metadata associated with the actions. So an action might be to rewrite uh, an IP address. So there's a NAT structure that's populated to report on that. Um, and the most recent ones we've added were to do with uh, MCAP, DCAP operations. So it captures the metadata associated with a layer three encapsulation or layer four encapsulation. So it tells you what the um, rewritten, uh, what the outer um, IP pair and port pair was going to be when the packet exits the device, which then allows it, makes it much easier to then trace that traffic across the network, because now you know what fields to look for when you sample those packets elsewhere. Okay, so I, I knew that I'd seen some things go by recently relating to encapsulations and so on with SFlow. So that, that's not about uh, what's in the packet, that's about what happened to it in the device. Yeah, and it's basically taking the, the set of OpenFlow actions <laughs> and and normalizing them into these, these metadata data structures that are also exported by physical switches from, from all the different vendors out there. So. What's nice about it is, you know, often you can have open vSwitch at one end and then maybe you're using a physical switch um, to do the decap and deliver to physical um, devices at the other end of the tunnel. And now you have instrumentation at both ends that's compatible. And so you can follow that traffic from the VM across open vSwitch, across the physical network, and then back out as it's delivered by that top of rack switch at the other end. That uh, brings me to another question I've been hoping to ask about. Uh, do people often use hardware and software uh, implementations of SFlow in their network together? Yes. Um, you know, typically, 
you can, you can, you know, it, it, you don't have to have them together. I mean, generally, you can get meaningful data if you have a, a layer instrumented. So one way to deploy is just to say, okay, I'm going to just, I just care about my my edge. If I'm running OpenStack, and I'll just use Esplit from the OpenV switches, and now I have a complete view of all traffic um, in that um, OpenStack cluster. But there's added value if you then collect the data from the physical switches, because now you can. It makes it much easier to troubleshoot problems with the, the where you have an interplay between the overlay and the underlay. So if you have an overloaded link in the underlay, it's going to be very hard to diagnose if all you had is overlay data. <laughs> you just see some random packet loss distributed across tunnels, and you really don't understand that they share a common factor. <laughs> and the common factor is that they're routed over this link. Whereas if you have instrumentation in the physical data plane, then um, then you, it becomes really trivial to diagnose. You see, in fact, you typically diagnose that problem bottom up. So you'd say, okay, here's this congested link. What traffic flows over it? what services are impacted and then you'd go back to the stats and you now have a context in which to to group them and understand um, how they relate. So earlier I think you said that one of the distinguishing characteristics of SFlow is that it uh, samples packet data and not say particular headers and, and, and so on. Uh, is is that the one of the big ways you would contrast uh, SFlow with say NetFlow or IPFix? Are there, there other important differences? I think that's the primary one. I mean one when you look at sort of flow analytics, um, the basic pipeline is always the same. You, know, you start with packets, you um, hash them based on various header keys um, into a table, and you keep counters. And those are then, when they expire, those uh, entries from that hash table, that's a flow record. <laughs> um, but where you do each of those tasks can vary. So just uh, you really think about SFlow as a disaggregation of that pipeline. So rather than doing building that flow cache on the device, you just build it externally, but the net result is is the same. <laughs> it's just more flexible, and it, it also dramatically reduces the cost of the devices, which is why it's so popular with merchant silicon vendors. Is because the footprint in the silicon is very small. You know, all you need is a random number generator and a comparator. Whereas if you implement flow analytics in in there, building a you know a big TCAM <laughs> to um, to collect the flow data. Um, is very power and resource intensive and takes a lot of a lot of gates. So it's, um... so I'm I'm not too familiar with uh, with the switch switches and, and routers out there available in hardware. Is, is because of that is, is it easier to find a hardware say at, at a lower end that, that supports SFlow than supports these other protocols? Yeah, so SFlow is available across the spectrum. So you know, just a, a really inexpensive D-Link switch <laughs> um, with Marvell ASICs in it will have SFlow, and then all the way up to you know a Tomahawk 100 gig switch um, or Cavium, um, or the full spectrum. Um, and it's because it has such a small footprint, and once it's in your standard. Um, sort of uh, layouts for your ASICs, it costs you nothing <laughs> um, to add it to each each generation of, uh, at any price point that you you want to deploy. So what's next for, for S-Flow or for the OpenV switch implementation or, or for InMon? I think the really exciting area is really this area of microservices. You know, I think um, it makes a lot of sense in terms of the flexibility it gives you, but the downside is is the potential complexity of monitoring. And I think the network has a, a really important role to play there. I mean, it is the the, the bus <laughs> that connects the services together and on which they actually depend. 
And so I think there's a lot of really interesting analysis that one can do in terms of characterizing and optimizing services at scale in this kind of infrastructure. And I think it's a really fun area to, to do research. Do you get feature requests for the Open vSwitch S-Flow implementation? Are there things that people uh, see as missing? No, I think people are pretty much happy with it. I think it works great. It is one of the first, one of the early features that were in there. So, you know, I think all the teething trouble came out, <laughs> uh, you know, before even version one. And it's been pretty solid and stable since. I, I think they, the only th- way people run into trouble is if they do something really dumb, like set a sampling rate of one in one. And I saw somebody published a paper about that and said how SLO is terrible and it kills the performance of Open vSwitch, and they'd set it to one in one, which means you know, every packet gets copied up into user space. I mean, of course it's going to kill it, but that's not the operational model. I mean, if you set it at any realistic um, sampling rate, like one in a thousand, then the overhead of, of SFlow is is undetectable. <laughs> um, and that's what makes it so attractive in operational use, because um, you really don't want the systems that you're using to monitor to be your problem. <laughs> you want them to be part of the solution. My obsession has always been with performance um, improvement, and really any overhead you impose is a tax. So if your monitoring system imposes a tax of 5%, then I have to get at least 5% improvement before I get a return. <laughs> so um, the lower the overhead of the monitoring system you can create, the less of a barrier you have in terms of providing a net improvement in performance. And I think SFLO strikes a really sort of optimal balance there. It's incredibly lightweight, but um, but very rich in the kind of data exports. So it allows you to do a lot of interesting things in terms of how you can analyze the system and, and reorganize it to better cope with the, the traffic loads that are being placed on it. So the big project I'm working on now is OVN, a network virtualization system that you can think of as uh, as similar to, say, NSX in a lot of ways. So for us to support SFlow and OVN, what do you think we need to do? Do we just need to uh, provide a way for people to uh, point to a collector, or is there deeper integration that, that uh, users would benefit from? Um, I don't think there's anything really needed to do, and I'm not sure this is where this sort of... Uh, it's not clear to me whether the OVN is the right um, control plane to actually configure the S-Flow. I mean, I, because OVN by itself, I don't think has enough context. You know, I mentioned the host S-Flow agent, and one of the things it does actually is configure S-Flow in Open vSwitch. So it has, um, it basically syncs its state to OVSDB. And so um, you don't need to now um, configure to measurement planes. You just configure the host SLO agents and then the SLO from the open vSwitch goes to the same place with the same consistent settings. And I think that's easier to do and it then gives you much richer context because when you want to, you know, any OVN deployment, you really, you know, the endpoints are going to be containers or, or um, VMs and you really want to understand who they are and what they're doing <laughs> in order to understand their traffic. And so I think... Um, Having a unified measurement plane, um, I think, is, is is really important there. And you kind of create an operational challenge if you take that control um, away and, and make it part of OVN. Or at least make it optional so that you can turn off OVN's uh, um, interest in that, that table. 
Well, it, it sounds like uh, maybe we don't have to do anything, which is even easier than getting <laughs> a way to configure it. Yeah, but I do think there are really interesting ways in which one can leverage SFlow with OVN. Because um, you know, if you take the OVN northbound models, you can um, take the SFlow data and basically do a join. And now you can see how traffic is flowing both over your um, logical network and over the um, physical network that's carrying it and also you know, how those rules are being instantiated in, in the data plans in Open vSwitch. Well, we've been talking here for quite a while, longer than I expected. So just to draw it a little bit toward a close, is there anything else that you think our listeners should know? No, I think uh, I think we've pretty much covered it. I don't want to take more time than than is really needed. Uh, I, I maybe mention a few resources that if people want to look in more detail, um, the sflow.org is the the site that manages sflow. Um, sflow.net is the host sflow agent, and I have a blog in which I talk about a lot of this stuff. Um, blog.sflow.com, and so I think those three areas are, are good places to find more information. And is your blog uh, the best way for people to contact you? Do you have a Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is at sflow, so <laughs> easy to remember. If you have any sflow-related questions, um, I'm happy to answer them. Just direct message me. All right. Thanks a lot, Peter. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Ben. Orbit is edited and produced by Ben Pfaff using Audacity audio editing software and released under the Creative Commons unported 3.0 license. The intro and bumper music in this episode is excerpted from Electro Deluxe by My Free Mickey and the outro from Girls Like You by Stefan Kartenberg, both under the Creative Commons Attribution unported 3.0 license. For more information about Open vSwitch and OVS Orbit, please visit openvswitch.org.